Hello, Silvertown. Welcome to the Silvertown podcast. Let's jump on that silver train and ride right into the incredible, wonderful world of sobriety. And today we have an amazing guest that's going to be riding the silver train with us. We have Polly, aka Polly A. Boom. Hello, Drifter. <laughs> How are you doing, my friend? I'm living in the wonderful world of sobriety. You are. And it's kind of chilly where you're at, isn't it? Oh, yes. It's below freezing. I'm getting my first taste of an English winter for the first time in a long time. <laughs> Chill you all the way to your bones, huh? But it feels Christmassy when it's this cold. So it's, it's really quite nice, actually. So I'm enjoying it. So we're on Zoom, and she's got a blanket over her legs to try to stay warm. <laughs> Cup of tea, blanket. So, yeah. I even have a hot water bottle for when it's necessary. So, Polly, we just want to kind of follow the evolution of your journey because you're in a really good place right now. But that's not how everything started out, did it? No, no, no. Like everybody, like everybody, you reach a point where you think, I just can't do it anymore. If this is what life's like, I don't want to be part of it. I remember just before, because... I came into IAS and I was in it for two weeks, not in the community, but I was in it for two weeks. And then I fell off the wagon one day. And I remember going for a walk. I still walked even when I was drinking. So walking has been part of my life for a long time. And I remember that I started thinking, my kids are grown up. They've all got their own lives going. If this is what retirement's like, it fucking sucks, and I don't want any part of it. But I don't know why, but something, I, I couldn't even say what it was, maybe a divine intervention, I couldn't tell you. Com I completely changed the way I thought and thought, do you know what, I really want this and I can do it. I remember kicking the shit out of a tree because I was on a walk, and I was so frustrated with me and I was uh, myself angry at myself. Everything was self-directed right at the beginning. It was, it was all my shame, my anger, my inability to master this. It was just all about me. And I suppose there's the part of the selfish side of alcohol because you make it all about yourself. And I reset on the 3rd of June. Real quick, why don't you explain to them what IAS is? IAS is a app that you can find called I Am Sober. You go into the app, you go into the app store and you just type in I Am Sober. And it brings up this app that you can download <clears throat> and you find a community of people. Also, it gives you a tracker and you can see, you can track your days, you can you can hold yourself accountable by going in and pledging every morning, then reviewing your day in the evening. You know, did you stay sober? Yes. And you give yourself a smiley face and it almost cheers you on. And then there's a the community side of it whereby you connect with other people on your own who've come in on the same day as you. And you form little communities within your time, what we call your timeline. So day zero is the first day going in there. And there are other people that come in on day zero. And everybody starts supporting each other cheering each other on and you move up through what we call milestones I know for some people they say the milestones are not important but for me the milestones were they were a sense of achievement when I hit that milestone it gave me back a little bit of pride in myself and then when I hit 100 days I just I couldn't bloody believe it you just told us you're kicking a tree do you remember the hopelessness back then when you were kicking that tree? Yeah. And it's like I said to you, I thought, if this is what life is like now, I, I really don't, I, I didn't, I wouldn't have cared if I didn't wake up the next day because that's how I felt, just so hopeless from it. I was giving into it. I was letting it beat me. And I, with hindsight, that's what I, I can say. But at the time, I didn't see myself as giving into it. I just saw my life as 
just a waste. You know, what was the point in being alive? There was no joy. I mean, and I think I'm saying there was no joy. And in some ways, that's a total lie. I couldn't experience joy in myself. I could experience joy when I was with other people and what they were going through. But for myself, I couldn't. And I thought, I don't want to be here. I really don't. I couldn't even tell you what it was. But then I got up the next day, logged back in, went in on day zero, pledged. And I thought, right, just today, I'll just, I'll go through today and I'll, I'll do my review tonight of how my day went. There wasn't so much in the app when you and I first went into it. It was fairly basic in a way. It's grown exponentially over the three and a half years I've been in it. And it's it, it's somewhere totally different now. Were you able to get a day or two together and stay sober? Or were you resetting almost every day? Prior to I Am Sober, yeah, I'd be resetting all the time. But once I came into I Am Sober, I, I couldn't tell you what it was. I think, I suppose the one word that comes to mind is accountability. Because I was making myself accountable. I was going in in the morning and pledging that I wasn't going to drink that day. Going through my day, and as soon as it got to the time where I probably would have picked up a drink, I was going in, looking in through the community, looking at milestones, and then saying that, okay, I didn't drink today. So that first two weeks when you hadn't seen the community, was that more like a, a white knuckling, just looking at the time? It was because you just think, okay, I don't want it. I don't need it. Then half an hour later, you're going, I don't want it. I don't need it. And it it, it literally bombards you the whole of the time. And it, it's on your mind. You just, and you're basically a dry drunk. I was a dry drunk. I remember how excited I got when I noticed that community. When you noticed there were other people like you, you think that was a game changer? It was. And at first I was reluctant to comment on people's posts because I thought, what do I know? You know, I thought, what can I give someone? First of all, it was just little simple comments like, let's just do today or I'm not going to drink today. I'll, I'll not drink with you today. Little things like that. But then I got more involved. The community helped me start looking into myself. And it sent me into probably an educational mode where I was looking for anything that would help me. And within the community, there were people who were further ahead, more sobriety than I had, who would share knowledge. And those are the people you start following. So when they make a post, you see what it is and it motivates you even more. And then you start finding out things and thinking, okay, maybe this is worth sharing. So then you share your thoughts, your feelings. It allows you through the anonymity to express yourself. So that was a good thing, the anonymous, because nobody knows what you look like. You have a pseudonym, but my pseudonym is fairly close to my own name. So, I mean, I was okay. And you just start following people who are around the same timeline as you, going through the same things as you, who you can relate to, who when you're having a tough time and can put it in the community, someone will come back and say, yes, I know what you're talking about. And you finally realize that you're not on your own and you've got a community. I remember seeing you the first time. You had a door where you would put your avatar you had this purple door. It was a, yeah, it was a purple door with wisteria around it. And I had, my thought process back at the beginning was totally different to what it is now. I looked on my sobriety coming into the community as a doorway and a doorway into a new room. I was moving out of the devastated one, the broken down one. And there was this beautiful purple door with all this wisteria around it. And I walked through this door and shut it behind me. 
and took myself into a whole new world. And that's the way I looked on it. And the milestones for me were working through different rooms because the education mode was I was constantly working on myself and exploring. And when I worked my way through things, I moved into the next room when I felt felt comfortable enough. And I move into the next room. In the beginning, it was just don't drink, right? Yes. My first year was blinkers on. Don't look right. Don't look left. Just focus forward. Don't look in the rear view mirror and just put one foot in front of the other and learn, learn, learn. Share, share, share. Connect, connect, connect. And that's all it was during that first year. So when you got to around 100 day where your emotions start to unthaw, do you remember going through anything during that time? I remember, I think it was like feeling starting to wake up. And I did get emotional. And I remember that I, I, I kept crying a lot because all of a sudden you start looking and everything has got color. It, you know, you start seeing things in Technicolor and you, it brings tears to your eyes because you haven't seen it for so long. And my, I think in some ways my journey is a little bit different because my drinking days were not in my younger years. They weren't in my formative years. They were in my later years. So I'd already lived quite a lot of years of emotions, you know, kids, marriage, marriage first, kids, working, all those kind of things. So I think I was a lot more mature when I started drinking. But there was a lot of stuff that I hadn't dealt with which sent me to drinking. First thing was I had to start grieving the loss of my first husband, which for about 19 years I hadn't done. And I didn't realize that at the time. So there was, there was a whole lot of, of grief going on. And I, I remember reading people saying that when you're starting to get sober, it's like grieving, it's like a loss. It was a double loss because I had the loss of the alcohol, which made me face up to the loss of my husband. So there was a lot of crying. There was a lot of over what I'd what I'd done to Dan, my current husband, who was my current husband. There was a lot of guilt to work through that I hadn't given him my best. He was a great guy in that if I was struggling, I could sit and talk to him. He never judged me. He would always sit and listen. So when I had those difficult times, when I sat there thinking, what am I doing this for? What am I hoping to get out of it? And it took a while to realize that the biggest thing I wanted out of my sobriety was freedom from devastation, from the way I'd felt, the shame, the guilt, the tiredness, the hating of myself. I wanted freedom from that. And Dan helped me work on that in that he let me talk through it. We would sit and we'd talk for quite a while, actually, and he'd, he'd help me talk through it. And he made me feel that what I was going through was perfectly all right. And for some reason, I didn't doubt. Once I got through the first year, I didn't doubt myself. But it was only after the first year that I started having to look deeper into myself because now, now I was actually, like you said before, I wasn't just sober, I was in recovery. And I started looking into myself and looking for things that would help me personally. Because like most women, I think there's a lot of women will relate to us, we never ever put ourselves ahead of anybody else. We are always the last one in our own thoughts. So I suddenly started to think, do you know what? I need to start doing this for me. Just about coming up nearly a year was when we started doing the podcasts and I started doing podcasts with Karina and I did podcasts with King and I, I did a few interviews with people. And that 
truly, truly helped me because during the times we were doing the podcasts, we would we would find something to to do a podcast on, and then it was a case of deep diving into that subject. And you're having all these aha moments thinking, crikey, yeah, I, re- I can relate to that. You and I did a podcast and we suddenly realized that even though we weren't going to AA, I was still organically doing the 12 steps through the I Am Sober app, through the sharing with the podcast, and they were helping me understand a lot of what I'd done to myself. The one thing I stopped doing was giving myself grief for what I did. I had to learn to forgive myself for that. And I think during my second year of recovery, I was learning to forgive myself and learning that, and the biggest lesson for year two for me was that I can't go back and change that period in my life. It's no good hating myself for that. I cannot go back and change it. I just have to keep moving forward from this point on. So today I've been sober. So when I get up tomorrow, I'll move forward from that point. And I started to realize that I had to be present every day in the moment and just live in that day and not go back and review and hate myself for what I'd done then. You were getting huge awarenesses, like tackling topics with grief, moderation, all of these different topics. You were like hitting head on. Yeah, we were. Karina and I did quite a few. And I think they helped us immensely because we were dealing with topics we needed to deal with, we needed to address. And we had the opportunity and then the opportunity to share what we discovered with other people. So there was the paying it forward. And by doing that, you're feeding your own sobriety as well. That's the way I look at it is that whenever I do a post and it, it, I try and do positive ones, there are negative ones, but I try not to I try not to deal with the negative too much because there lies it brings you down when you deal with the negativity all the time. So if I'm doing a post, I'll try and make it as positive as possible so people can see there is life after alcohol and it's a better life. It's a, it's a life of freedom. So even though you were dealing with all of these things in the beginning, you were starting to see color pretty quick, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. And I loved it because, like I said to you, I've always walked, but I never really noticed because to me, I did what a lot of women did was exercise, everything like that to, so that I could drink. It, it was a calories exercise to cover the calories from the alcohol and things like that. So I never really looked. I didn't, it was just get up, put your shoes on and walk. Even if you if you didn't feel like it, just get up and put your shoes on and walk. It's what you've got to do. Was it just kind of like grave? Yeah. One of the analogies I used was if you remember the very first movie, it was a kid's movie called Trolls, and you had little Poppy was all bright and pink and sparkly and happy, and the other little guy was gray and miserable and had no color whatsoever. I kept thinking that that was what I was like. There was just no color. And towards the end of the movie, he gets his color. So maybe I'm a troll. I don't know. (laughs) Well, you've definitely come to life in all of this. And it hasn't all just been really difficult, but there's been difficult times with the awarenesses and everything. But it's been very exciting too. It has, even though... I've had to deal once again with grief because, bless his heart, he passed away last year. And Karina and I have talked about how we've, we're dealing with it. We we help each other in that when these emotions come now, the one thing we've learned is you deal with them in the now. You don't put them aside to be dealt with later. Like I did with my first lot of grief, I buried it under a bottle of alcohol and never dealt with it really. 
for 19 years. Yeah. So with Dan, to me, I look at it and I think I'm honoring Dan even more now. Because one thing he asked me to do just before he passed away, and he looked at me and he said, please don't drink. And I haven't. And I've dealt with the grief as it's happened, the days when I really, really miss him and it all comes over the top of me. I let it out. I don't bottle it up. I let it out. And we're going to get to that point here in a minute. But first, you know, if everybody wants to see what it was like for you and Karina in those first days, they can go back to some of the older podcasts. And you have the two for one podcast that you did through Sobertown. And people can see in those podcasts exactly what you and Karina were struggling with or some of the realizations that you guys had. You can't stagnate in your sober journey. You have to constantly evolve. You have to constantly grow and you grow into your sobriety. You nurture it. It's 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 like you'll see posts within I Am Sober about planting the seed. And it is so true because at day zero, you plant your seed and then you constantly nurture it, water it, give it food to keep it going. So that's that's what you do in sobriety is you are constantly evolving. You're constantly changing because your mind is changing all the time. You're seeing things. You'll go through, this is, I'm, I've done it. You go through a series of emotions and you come out the other side. And in the early days, they're hard and you think, this is, is this worth it? You know, and you go into the app and people, and you say, oh, I'm struggling and this, that, and the other. And people will encourage you, stick with it. You know, just post, keep posting, keep talking, keep posting. Look at your wins too, because let's bring Dan into this. Before you got sober, you had so much guilt and shame because you were Dan's caretaker. He was wheelchair bound and you had to help him bathe and get into bed and everything. And you felt all that guilt. But once you got sober, you started having wins. You weren't waking up like that anymore, were you? No. And I I, I like to hope that he was proud of me. I know he was because I've talked to him. He was very proud of you. He was such a great guy in that he ha- he never ever judged anybody. You know, he, he was great. He taught me how to live and let live, which I, I love. And he was in hospital when I came to celebrate my two-year soberversary, and he got the nurse to get a cupcake and put two candles in it for when I got there. By that time, I didn't have any problem telling anybody I was sober. I'm not ashamed of it. In fact, I'm damn bloody proud of the fact that I'm sober. Someone said to me the other day, how long have you been, when did you last have a drink? And I told them and they went, oh my God, I'm proud of the fact that I haven't had a drink for that long and that my life just just gets better in that I love it. I love my life. And like I say, Dan, if Dan was sick, I was up in the night, fully alert, fully awake. I would get up early in the morning and deal with him, et cetera. And it would, it was like I was giving him the person he was supposed to have had. And that felt so good, didn't it? Because before that, it was like, you couldn't trust yourself. No. And I've said it before. I would take him to clinics, getting up at four and five o'clock in the morning. And I, and I would pray that I wouldn't be stopped by a policeman because there's no way I could guarantee that I was bloody sober. So I was, you know, driving and driving on the freeway like that. I was, gosh, it's it's awful to admit. But then I, you know, if I had to get up at four o'clock in the morning, up at four o'clock, get it all organized, you know, get in the car and getting in the car without that feeling of fear. Because then I'm thinking, what if I have an accident? He's in the car as well. So it's not just me. It's him. And then I started thinking, what if he gets sick in the night? What if he tries to get out of bed and falls over? These kind, This is where a lot of the guilt was coming from. And 
I'd be putting him to bed and I'd at night and I couldn't honestly say I was sober when I was putting him to bed, but I did it. And for a long time, I convinced myself that I was fine. You know, I could manage this. Do you remember ever going to bed knowing that it's okay because if, if something happens, you're alert? Yes. Yeah. Knowing that I could get up in the night with him and deal with whatever needed to be dealt with. And that if ever he had to go to the hospital, I could be with him. Because I, another thing I thought was, if I have to call an ambulance, how am I going to get in my car and follow the ambulance? Because I'd be three sheets to the wind. Here's what's really cool. You and Karina are doing the two-for-one podcast. She's dealing with Andy, who had leukemia at the time. You're yep. dealing with Dan. You're both getting sober. And just the whole evolution of all of this, now that we're looking back on it, it's just really magical. And there's so much record of, of what you guys went through back then through your podcast. Yeah, and also Karina and I have become absolutely wonderful friends, you know, we're great friends. And we've been such a support to each other, not just Karina. Karina and I have been such a support to each other, but we've had other people within the community who've supported us immensely and been there for us and helped us deal with these things. And I think knowing that there's other people around that at any given time, if I'm struggling, I can pick up the phone or I can go into the app. I don't go in the app as much as I used to, but I've made so many one-on-one -on -one friends that I can pick up the phone and talk to that I never had before. It's amazing. Let's talk about that real quick because you guys are podcasting. Then you start these telegram groups. Then you go into building the Sober Sisters with these Zooms? The group started, probably I was about five and a half, six months sober. And it was just a, a one-off thing. It was getting close to Christmas and someone found an app to work through and we formed a little group. From there, we ended up inviting other people because it turned out it made a complete left turn. And it wasn't about what we originally started it for. We ended up being more support for each other than anything else. And we found that we had a place and it was just women. There were no men involved and it, they weren't mixed groups. They were just all women because I personally always thought that women needed other women to talk to, to feel comfortable with. I mean, it's all right being in a mixed setting, but there are some things that women feel very vulnerable about sharing when there's a man in the room who they're not related to, who they don't know. So... I firmly believed because women mostly drink differently to men and there's a lot of emotion involved, I thought that women needed their own platform and their own space outside of the app where they could come together and they could talk not just about alcohol but about the emotions they were struggling with other things. We've got people who are managing elderly parents, grandparents, and they're trying to maintain their sobriety while they're dealing with all these difficult situations. And from that, the groups grew and grew and grew. And I don't know, I couldn't tell you how many there are now. I think I'm still in six Telegram groups. From the Telegram groups, we started ladies-only Zooms. There was the mixed Zooms. And as I say, there were some women who just didn't feel comfortable sharing some things when there were men around, there were a lot of things that could be shared. And there was a lot of good stuff came out of the unofficial I Am Sober Zooms. It gave people a place to connect with like-minded people who they could talk to. So we started the ladies-only ones, and it started at two a week, Fridays and Sundays. Then someone said, can we have one in the week? And it grew from there. And there are still ladies-only Zooms. There's does from these Zooms, yours grew because you started the Erica Spiegelman ones with Zooms. So that came online. The Rewired Zooms came online. Then the I Am Sober group that did Zooms, they started a men's only Zoom because they thought that maybe the men needed a platform where there were no women around. And it's just grown and grown and grown from there. It looks like there's like 
five women Zooms a week right now just with the Sober Sisters. Yeah, the Sober Sisters have five. I think I Am Sober do four. There's 19 Zooms a week, a week. with IAS, the Sober Sisters, and the Silvertown Zooms. And Rewired. Rewired are part of the Silvertown Zooms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The support that's grown over the last couple of years for people who are getting sober, who don't always want to be in AA, they've now got alternatives. Well, even for the people that are in AA, this is extra support. Yes, it's an added support. And it gives them support more in a private nature than a big AA meeting, I think, because they're usually in their own home in their own environment, uh, where they mostly are relaxed. And something that's unique is we do breakout rooms, all these different Zooms that we do. Usually there's four people in a breakout room where they can discuss what's going on. There may be a topic, but the one thing that is always said that, although we've got a topic, if someone's got something that they're, that is really disturbing them, it can be talked about. Like, with, like we said about emotions and you know, dealing with difficult situations and having a mental breakdown, right? <laughs> you know, just having a bad day because I'm learning. The one thing that I've learned is if it's a bad day, it's okay because, you know, it's normal to have a bad day. It's not abnormal. You know, it's okay to have a bad day, but I have to admit my bad days are exceptionally few and far between. So let's get into the Telegram groups again real quick. You started doing readings and other women have picked these up too. For some reason or other, I just needed something on a daily basis because I know AA do a daily meditation, you know. And so I was looking something for something for me and I found some Melody Beattie books that really I thought they were great and I wanted to share them. So I would do a daily reading from two of these books and then I would talk about what they made me think about. Because Melody Beattie herself has been in recovery for many, many years. So it wasn't just people who'd written random books. It was people, it was someone who'd gone through recovery. When you know it's someone who's been through recovery, you can relate to what they're talking about. And I would talk about my interpretation on it. Sometimes I'd be doing it and the back door would be open and people could hear my wind chimes because Dan used to love wind chimes. So, or the birds in the garden, so things like that. And I'd get little messages said, I loved listening to it and I loved hearing the wind chimes. And then when Dan got really, really sick and I asked for some help, you know, was there anybody who could help? Sober Seedling came in. But about the time Dan passed away, she had her own devastating loss that she was dealing with so Liz the big win came in to the group so then she came in and took over for a little while then when we all started getting back together again we all started taking a week each and then after we did the sober meetup in North Carolina this year Sheffy came into it as well so there are four of us in there I love that each of us interpret these readings in different ways. And you have Patty in there too. Patty's in there as well, doing hers. She does the woman's spirit. And she's, she's openly said how much they've helped her just doing this reading. And I know these readings helped me. Doing that every morning got me thinking. And it, it, was all, it went along with my pledge every day and like I say now we've got four people who so you've got four different views four people looking at things in different ways giving different perspectives for people to listen to and so just everybody understands they read whatever they're reading into the telegram app and then they broadcast it out to all of these different groups some of these groups are mixed groups, but everybody's sharing these readings. So people have these readings every day. It's really, really, really cool. It's really helpful to everybody. Like I say, it gets us thinking, but hopefully it gets those within the groups who are listening going, 
Oh, yeah. Well, I don't quite look at it that way, but oh, yeah, I like that interpretation. I never thought of it that way. It gets them thinking. I think that's the whole point of it, because once your mind starts getting clear, once you've cleared the fog of the alcohol out, you can start thinking. Your mind gets clearer and clearer and clearer as you go along. Let's move forward a little bit now. Let's get this back to Dan. Yeah, he got very, very sick. He'd always been sick for almost, he'd been on dialysis. By the time he passed away, he'd been on dialysis for 12 years. But his poor body was starting to get tired. And then for the last seven or eight weeks, it was hard watching him just slowly decline. And there was a lot of, there was a lot of emotion there. And I spoke about this with others in that when someone is on a slow decline like this, you start your grieving before they've even passed away because you know what's coming. I've lost two husbands in two different ways. There was the trauma of my first husband suddenly dying. And it was only once I started doing podcasts with you and getting into my sobriety that I understood that it was a trauma. And Dan was just a slow, slow, painful. It was, it was painful to watch. And he was so brave, so, so brave. And that in the end, he chose to cease his treatment and let himself go. And I don't know as I'd have that kind of courage. Well, let's talk about your mindset through some of that, because that's difficult. Here you are getting sober and you're dealing with losing your husband. I didn't, I didn't want to drink. I really didn't want to drink. I never had craving for alcohol. I didn't want to numb at all. I needed to be fully present. So it never occurred to me to drink through it. I think by then, like I say, I, when you first start dealing with these emotions, you deal with them and you come out the other side. And then all of a sudden you start dealing with them again and come out the other side. And each time you come out the other side, you've built a bit more strength. So I think by the time I was dealing with this pre, I suppose it's pre-grief in the weeks before he passed away. And not only that, you have all of this support from these women in these yes. telegram groups yes. and the community that you've been getting sober with for the last two and a half years. And they were all with me every step of the way. I was not alone. And the one thing about it was, it was all virtual. Not one of these people were in my life physically. I had more support from my virtual sober community than from anybody. I mean, I did have family support, but a lot of my family was distant in another country. I would say 98% of my support was virtual between my sober I am sober community, the telegram groups, the sober town community, and my family who were, were abroad. That's where I got a lot of my support. And I never once felt alone. That's so important right there, Polly, to let everybody know as you're getting sober, get involved in your community, build a sober crew. The sober community becomes our family, doesn't it? It does. And the one thing we always encourage is if it's tough at the moment, lean in. Just lean into this community. It's what we're all doing. You're doing the same thing as the rest of us. We are all rowing in the same boat, you know, so lean in. And if you're tired, we can carry you for a bit because we know you will carry us when it's, it's, it's our turn to be tired. And those old mindsets will probably be telling you to lean out, but you got to lean in. I know one of my biggest faults and one of my biggest faults is I'm very independent. And I think that's a lot of, that was one thing I've had to discover since I got sober was it's okay to lean on people. And that's been a hard one for me because I've been always been independent thinking that I don't need 
most difficult thing for me is I, like I say, I've been very independent for most of my life. I think a lot of it's the way I was brought up that you have to stand on your own two feet. And at first it was hard for me to learn to lean on people. And then I learned that it's what other people want. It, it makes them feel better to know that they're helping me. A lot of, a lot of people, when you, when you're struggling, they just want to be there for you. And it takes a while for you to realize that this is their way of showing love. And when I lost Dan, I'd been sober for two years and I'd gone through quite a few transitions emotionally, mentally. I realized that a lot of people don't know how to express. A lot of people don't know what to say to someone when they're in the early stages of grief, where they've just lost someone. A lot of people in the community just sent me a hug and a heart. That was when I first learned that it was all right to lean on people. And it was an acknowledgement that their expressions of love and support meant something, that they weren't just words, you know, that it was, it was their way of expressing their support. And I had to learn to lean in because I was on my own a lot after Dan died because, like we said earlier, a lot of my family were abroad. I only had some family in Texas. So a lot of the time I was doing it all on my own. And I'd come home after dealing with something or I'd be in the house after dealing with something. And my sober community was there when I wanted it. I could lean on them. You've been extraordinary with everything that you've done for Dan after he's passed. Gone to Alaska. Talk about the things that you've done. I want people to understand with your clarity at this point, you get through him passing, you're dealing with your grief, and you just start moving forward. You go to Alaska. Talk about all that. I'm not going to sit in the dark. Dan wouldn't want that. So what I started doing was, I mean, there was, I came over to the UK to help my son celebrate his 50th birthday and had a whole family time there. And we let some of Dan's ashes go because none of them could come over to the States. So I brought some ashes to England. I got to meet some of my sober community in real life as well, which was absolutely wonderful. And to feel the love from those people was amazing, absolutely amazing. And then later in the year, I went and spent a whole month in Australia with another part of the family and spent Christmas with them enjoying life. I really started to enjoy life and appreciate the gift of life, actually. And then I wanted, it was coming up to Dan's birthday, the first anniversary of his birth, the, the first birthday after his passing. Dan loved Alaska, absolutely loved Alaska. He always wanted to go back there. He went to university, he went to the University of Alaska in Fairbanks. He was drafted into the services for the Vietnam War from Alaska. So I thought, why don't I take some of his ashes back to Alaska? And it was actually his birthday. So I got myself on a plane. Everybody kept saying, are you going on your own? Yes, because I've got nobody to go with. <laughs> I'm now on my own. I have to learn to enjoy my life. And I went to Alaska. I rode a train all the way from Anchorage to Fairbanks through the snow and all the Alaska range. And I could see the beauty of what, and here we go again. I could see the beauty. I'm totally sober. I can see the beauty that is around me, the gifts of, of what is here in, in my life now. I took his ashes and on the day of his birthday, I took them to put his ashes in the river. And it's the Chena River, which flows through Alaska. But I got there and the river was frozen. So I thought, oh, so I thought, no, I'm going to leave his ashes here. So I tipped his ashes onto the riverbank 
and I told him he'd have to sit and wait until the spring thaw before he could travel down the river. So it was it was a memory. It was it was creating memories. And I think the one thing I'm enjoying now, and I have done through my sobriety, is create memories that I remember. And then I rode the train back. It felt it was the right thing to do, was to take him to Alaska. And then I rode the train back through all the snow and everything. It was just absolutely stunning scenery that I could see because, like you say, clarity. You're looking at everything and seeing the beauty around you that you hadn't seen for years and years and years. It, 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 it really is waking up, really waking up. And I shared it with the community. And the hope in that sharing it was to let people know that it's okay to grieve. It's okay to hurt. But there is also joy out there, even during these times. And to create memories that you're going to create good memories. And that's what I did then. Then I came over to the UK for my big birthday, my big 7 and spent that with family. And it was when I was over here in February that I suddenly decided I was going to move back to the UK. Let's back up a little bit, because here you are, you're riding on a train by yourself, and you're comfortable in your own skin. Yes. Yes. People would say, who are you with? Nobody. I'm by myself. I'm okay with myself. I trust myself. I love looking out at life and seeing life outside of my, you know, all around me and sharing and the amount of people on that train that I ended up talking to, because I am quite a social person and more so since I got sober, I will talk to anybody. I love sharing, you know, different things with people. And by the time I got to Fairbanks, people on the train knew why I was going and they were asking me, they were asking little quips and things like that. And I did share my sober story with a few people. And I think when you share it, you give, every time you share, you give yourself more freedom. You're taking down all the stigma, you know, surrounding people who've got drinking problems it didn't feel wrong to go by myself because I thought if I don't go, I'll never go. That's the beauty of our recovery. At the beginning of your journey, you were kicking the shit out of a tree. Yeah. And you were miserable. And I don't believe you were very comfortable in your own skin at that time. And here you are flying over there to Alaska, getting on a, on a train and really, when you look at it, it's only been three years, right? By the time this all happened in life, that's not that long for you to turn your life around so drastically. When I first got to Alaska, the first day, I didn't drive or anything when I was there. And I got myself a, a little Uber and it took me to Earthquake Park. I was the only one there. And it didn't bother me. It was just so magical to be there, to experience it, to live it. And this is the one thing that has come out of my sobriety. I am actually living and experiencing and creating memories and just having fun. You've dealt with grief. Yeah. With Ed and then with Dan. Yeah. This time you've done it with clarity. You didn't stuff all that for 19 years. How was that different? Oh, I'm always going to miss him. And there are always going to be times that I think I wish he was here. In another way, I'm thankful that he's no longer suffering. But I'm coming through it. I think dignity is a word that comes to mind just then. And also honoring him by not falling back into that bottle. Not only did you honor him by not doing that, you honored him with an amazing burial, taking his ashes to the UK, then over to Alaska, keeping his memory with you. I mean, the way you've done all of this is just amazing. 
So then you go to UK, decide you're going to move back there. You fly back to Texas and then you got to pack up a house. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> All the work on the house I did myself. Here we go. Here's Miss Independent again. I did get some help here and there, but the majority of the time I was filling my time with making this house that I'd had nothing but in, in a lot of ways, I'd had good memories in this house. There was a lot of love in that house between Dan and I, even though I'd been drinking. And you'd been there how many years? Not 2003 through to 2023, 20 years. Oh, wow. That's, years. A lot of that's a lot of memories. And happy memories. You know, there were a lot of happy memories in there. And I wanted someone to enjoy the house in the way that we'd enjoyed the house. I loved my deck outside with my Buddha and my plants and my wind chimes. And I wanted someone else to experience that kind of love for, you know, and hopefully I know there was some sadness there. There was me drinking, et cetera, and Dan getting sick, but there was a lot of love in the walls that I was hoping someone else was going to feel. Well, there was recovery there too. Yes. And I worked making that house nice for someone else. And I enjoyed doing it while selling everything because there was no way I could bring stuff back. The only thing I brought back from Texas to the UK were my the things that were precious to me. And one thing I learned was letting a lot of extraneous shit go. I'd look at it and I think I've got the memory of it. Because the clarity helps me remember things that I forgot. I was, I've been talking with the children and we've talked about things that happened when they were children, reminding that these are memories that have all come back. And it feels so good to remember good times from years and years ago, even in my first marriage, you know, and laughing with the boys about it, those kind of things. And I love being there for them now, wholly, like I was for Dan those last two years. I'm now the same for my children. I'm fully present. And your grandchildren. And my grandchildren. And your friends. And my friends, Karina and I have just had a wonderful, wonderful day out together in uh, London. Just And one thing we did was we went to Southwark cathedral which is a beautiful old cathedral and we lit candles for Andy Ed and Dan and I saw a little thing on the side that says remember yourself and I said to Karina let's light our own candles so we never have to go back into the dark we will always have a light and it was a way of acknowledging both of ourselves and the journey we've come through from the dark into the light. And it was very symbolic for me. And then that was on Wednesday. And then she was here a few weeks ago and we went to my local cathedral who had a little store and we bought Christmas candles. So we both lit another candle tonight to keep our light shining because it's an advent candle and we'll do it every day until Christmas. Got to keep the light shining. I just, I'm just so ecstatic with life. Life for me. If, if tomorrow I don't wake up, I'm okay. I've enjoyed myself. I've loved it. I'm still got lots to do because in another seven weeks, I'm heading back to Australia to spend some time with the Australians. I've got my first Christmas in the UK with family. It's going to be amazing. And then in February for my birthday, I'm going to India for 16 days. I couldn't do it if I was still drinking. I would be sitting here in misery. I wouldn't have even left Texas. There's no way I'd have left Texas. I'd have, I'd have died over there. You would have died in your grief, more than likely. And also, how many times did we hurt ourselves when we were drinking? Bumping into doors, falling down, you know, dropping things. I've got a burn on my arm from when I tried to cook. 
when I was in my drink, you know, fuzzled. Things like that. And that's another thing I think now is I live on my own. I can't go there. It's like Karina said, there's people when they first come in have a fear of never drinking again. And it's a fear of ever drinking again. I don't want to ever drink again. When your life is so good, you just yeah. don't want to compromise. No, no. I feel I feel proud of myself, justifiably proud of myself. I've worked my ass off. And like I said to Karina, we've worked our ass off for over three years now to get to where we are. We have totally educated ourselves. There's always something new, but a variation on what we've already done. And you know yourself because you did exactly the same thing. You dived down those rabbit holes. You read those books. You listened to those podcasts. You went searching for information. When an emotion hit you, it would be, okay, let's go and read something that someone put. Annie Grace put it so succinct. Her book was amazing. And I found that she did daily things on Facebook that you could go in and you could listen to. All those kind of things, just to educate yourself and just motivate you to just get through that day. And I think that's another thing that became clear to me. And it's something I've said probably within the last year and a half is I may have been sober for X amount of days, but I've only been sober for 24 hours, but I've done it X amount of times. So I am only sober today. And that's all I concentrate on. And it's it's part of being in the now because that's all you could do. And that's so comforting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Let's look at that, Polly. <clears throat> Getting sober, you were over kicking a tree, just exhausted, frustrated. And look at you now. You're a lighthouse glowing so bright to everybody around you. My cheeks get a workout every day because I can't stop smiling because I'm looking at things. I get up in the morning and I look out the window at the boats and the ducks and the swans and I'm smiling. And then someone will send me a message and it, it's usually something wonderful and I'm smiling again. And today, today I got, I did, I went out with a friend and she enjoyed herself and so did I. And then tomorrow I'm going out again. And then Sunday I've got a son coming round for cannolis and coffee. And he and I will sit and chat and enjoy ourselves. And I just, I just love life. And, it, and it's all come about searching for an app and finding it. I am sober. And it is exactly what I am. I am sober. Polly, thank you so much for sharing mm -hmm. all this. And you inspire me. You give me hope. <laughs> you and I have, you know, got each other through this as well. And that's what we want to tell other people. Build build a sober crew. Immerse yourself in your sober community because sober people are your people. They get you. Connect. Connect. You need community. You need to connect. You need to communicate. And just let, let people know how you're feeling. I mean, it's hard to be vulnerable, but it's only by being vulnerable and honest. Can you get to a good life? Lean in, right? Lean, Lean in. in. That's it. And we said it, you'll see it in, in, in comments within the community where someone is struggling. Someone will put a comment and say, just lean in here, keep posting, lean in, lean on. And that's what you have to do. And it took me a long time to learn to lean on. Yeah, you're in the arena. <laughs> I love it. I love <laughs> life. And like I say, I can't stop smiling. I love it. I'm enjoying myself. I said to someone, I'm, I've, I think I'm coming out of my terrible twos. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm getting to be, I'm getting to be a little, a little three-year-old. So <laughs> I want to congratulate you as well. You're coming up on three and a half years, the same as me. So yeah, almost, we're almost there, aren't we? Almost there. And on, I'm getting a wonderful Christmas present and I keep looking on it as a, a wonderful present because on Christmas Day, I'll have 1,300 days without a drink. So I'll have done 24 hours, 1,300 times on Christmas Day. Boom. 
and I will be 1,301. Thank you for riding the sober train again. Yeah, and anybody who listens to this, just enjoy the ride because it's the best ride of your life. No sippy, no slippy. And pour the poison down the sink, and Karina says... Not another drop, no matter what. Boom. Tons of love to you. Thank you, darling. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.